For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. This is the Word of God for the people of God. As we move into September, we are starting a new series today focusing on the teaching and theology of John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement. He was a prolific writer and talked about Christian faith in some distinctive ways. I've come to believe that we are more effective witnesses and live a more abundant life. If we understand this great heritage we have as Methodists from Wesley and how he thought about God and how he thought about faith and the instructions he had for how we live that out. So I want us to look at that all during this month. But for some reason, while I was working on it, trying to decide which characteristics we should focus on, I was thinking, you know, what makes us a United Methodist? And I came up with this idea that you might be a United Methodist if, and then we would finish the phrase differently each week. But I really have to give credit to that great theologian, Jeff Foxworthy. He works more late nights than I do, but he has this idea that you might be a redneck if perhaps you have heard about it. He says things like you might be a redneck if your favorite piece of artwork hanging in your home is painted on black velvet. (laughs) You might be a redneck if you have more than two friends that go by Bubba. You might be a redneck if the special salad bowls that are all matching that you put out for guests all say Cool Whip on the side. (laughs) You might be a redneck if you have a special ball cap that you only wear to formal occasions. (laughs) Or the last one, you might be a redneck that when the offering plate is passed in church, you make change. Now, Foxworthy's trying to get us to think about characteristics of rednecks and understand what those are. I want to look, though, of course, at what are characteristics of Methodists? What makes us distinctive? What shapes and forms us as a people and as a denomination? We will start with what is central to John Wesley's preaching and central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We just read it in our text. You are saved by grace through faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Scholars tell us that we know that John Wesley preached on this very text that we have just read from Ephesians some 40 to 50 times that we know of where he recorded what he was preaching on. 40 or 50 times. So he loved this passage. He loved this idea that we are saved by grace through faith. But we also know because he was a meticulous journaler, he wrote down all through his adult life what he was doing each day, where he was going, who he met, what he was thinking, what he was feeling. And so we know that he also struggled to internalize this idea of being saved by grace. Wesley knew it in his head, but he struggled to integrate it fully into his life. I mean, he was raised in a Christian home, His father was an Anglican priest, priest in the Church of England. He grew up in a parsonage. He grew up going to church. 
By all accounts, his mother, Susanna, was a woman of great faith and devotion. So he was surrounded by love and Christian teaching from the very beginning. And yet he struggled. He writes about it in his journal how sometimes he had it backwards. That sometimes he felt as if he was working hard trying to receive God's grace rather than understanding that God's grace was already offered to him and it was in response to that that he worked hard to please God and to do God's will. See, the sequence is very important. Our text has it right, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Or another one of our biblical writers puts it simply, we love because God first loved us. Do you understand that? Faith is our trust in God's love for us and acceptance of us. As we said in the baptismal liturgy, all of this, all of this God's grace is offered to you without price. This is not something we earn or we've done something to deserve or merit. This is God's unmerited and unconditional love poured out upon us. Wesley understood how important that was and, and being sure that we accept that. And when we accept that love or grace, it's the justifying moment or some call it the salvation moment. For some, it happens in one dramatic moment. For many of us, it happens in a gradual sequence of events that happen over time. I would say for Wesley, it was really both. I mean, he was raised in a Christian home and taught from a very early age about the Bible and about faith and about Christianity, both by his mother and by his father. And yet he records in his journal on May 24, 1738, he would have been 34 years old, that he went unwillingly to basically what we would call a Bible study, a religious society, they called it in, that, in those days. And they were talking about Paul's letter to the Romans. And in that experience, he felt, his heart strangely warmed, that somehow God's love penetrated his person in a way that changed his understanding and the, the, the depth of his understanding and experience of God's love alive in his life. He talked about how he had a sense of assurance that God did love him and had accepted him and had forgiven him, had forgiven even his sins, which he thought were pretty bad. Maybe you think that way sometimes, that somehow you've done something that God can't forgive or doesn't love you because of that. Wesley would want you to know, no, God's love is offered to you without price. God's forgiveness and pardon has come to you, and it, it's a moment of joy and hope and love. It should be a moment of peace, knowing that you've received God's love, and now you can align your life with God's will and direction, and it will change the way your life experience pans out. My life is sort of like Wesley's in that I was born into a Methodist home, a loving home. Both my parents were Methodists. We went to church. If the church was open, pretty much we would go. But not just my parents, but their parents before them and their parents before them. My mom, in fact, has traced all the way back to one of our forebearers back in Leesburg, Virginia. One of 
our fellows who fought in the Revolutionary War is on the roster of the Methodist Meeting House. That goes back pretty close to the beginning of the roots of American Methodism. So I was surrounded by love from the very beginning. I had not done anything to earn it, and yet my parents and grandparents and so many people around me were loving me and sharing God's love with me and telling me about God's love. And there's not a time that I can remember that that wasn't happening in my life. I mean, I remember Mrs. Whitaker, my kindergarten Sunday school teacher, and how she loved us and taught us songs and was always at the door when we came. I remember my elementary Sunday school teachers who were so faithful and were there every Sunday to do the same. I remember going to vacation Bible school and learning Jesus loves me, but not just singing the song, but having living examples of people who helped me experience and understand at that age what that was all about. As a youth, I had the same kinds of experiences. Sunday school teachers, caring adults, inviting us into their home, being there at church, taking us to camp, teaching us about God's love and grace being poured out upon us. It just goes on and on. I mean, there were also those special moments where I could really say, oh, I experienced God's love there, or oh, I knew God had forgiven me then. We can have those special moments as well, but typically over the course of a lifetime, we can grow in grace, as Wesley said. We can deepen our understanding of what God is doing in our lives. It can happen here at church when we're singing or praying or reading scripture. It happens in Sunday school. It can happen on a retreat or at camp. But it also can happen at work. It can happen in your home. It can happen when you're driving in your car and listening to the radio. Where does God's grace intersect your life? When do you feel it most powerfully? What setting or settings draw you ever deeper? Give you that sense of assurance that God loves you unconditionally it happened for wesley i think throughout his life it happened at home when he was younger it happened when he went off to school it happened on that aldersgate street when he was in that bible group that religious society but it didn't just stop there it happened as he was serving the poor and helping others come to faith for the rest of his life god's grace was active throughout his entire life i think and Wesley said he thinks there was a problem with so many people that he ran into thinking that once they had experienced this all-embracing love of God, this grace of God being poured out upon them, that somehow they thought they were going to be perfect people, that all sin was gone. But he said, oh no, sin is still in competition with God's love that is also growing within us. He talked about this human struggle, this human predicament of dealing with sin, even after we've come to understand that God loves us unconditionally. He wrote about it in one of his sermons. Let me read you a few of the things he wrote. He said, It is seldom long before those who are deceived, thinking all sin is gone, are undeceived. Finding sin was only suspended, not destroyed. Temptations return and sin revives, showing it was only stunned before, not dead. People now feel two principles in themselves plainly contrary to each other the flesh lusting against the spirit nature opposing the grace of god they cannot deny that although they still feel 
power to believe in Christ and to love God. And although his spirit still witnesses with their spirits that they are children of God, yet they feel in themselves sometimes pride or self-will, sometimes anger or unbelief. They find one or more of these frequently stirring in their hearts, though not conquering, yes, perhaps thrusting at them that they may fall, but the Lord is their help. So we see two things in Wesley's life. One, he was struggling to move it from his head to his heart, but he also identifies this inward struggle that he says we all experience. Maybe it's true in your life, this battle between the love of God and the desire to serve the world and sort of the love of the world and the desire to be served. As he wrote about this difficulty in our struggle, he talks about how God's grace addresses that. He breaks it into three phases, if you will, in terms of how he talks about grace. He says the first one is prevenient grace or preventing grace. That is grace that comes before we profess faith or trust in God. That we affirm that God is our creator and God has created the world and God is already providing for us and already loves us even before we know it, even before we can recognize it or acknowledge it. But then he says there is that time that comes where we need to recognize and acknowledge God's love at work for our good. That is what he called justification or justifying grace, something God does for us in terms of the experience of forgiveness and pardon, the, the experience of joy and hope and love and a, a, a fresh future, a second chance, a peace that we are in God's hands. And we can follow God for the rest of our lives. He says, oh, that is a wonderful experience. But be careful. Some people try to truncate the Christian life and the Christian experience to that one moment or that experience. He says, oh, it's much more than that. He says it, it kind of lurks behind the question, when were you saved? As if that's the only point of faith to concentrate on. Wesley wisely says, oh, there's so much more. He says, in fact, there's more that God wants to do in you and for you after that moment than even in that moment. He uses a vivid illustration of a house. He says, think about religion as a house. I put this in your outline. He says, repentance is the porch. Faith is is the door and growing in grace is the rest of the house that is real religion he says he sometimes called it sanctifying grace or being made perfect in love but he always reminds his listeners that this is a gift of god just as paul said it in ephesians for by grace you have been saved something that's already been done for you he says have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God's love, the gift of God's grace, the gift of God's acceptance. It is a gift of God that comes to us when we are ready to accept it. But let me give you one last illustration of how this can play out in the nitty-gritty of our lives, how it can really be important in the practices of how we live you know some people say you can be a methodist and believe anything but that's not really true 
we have a broad umbrella under which we can express our faith broader than some. We're not a doctrinal church as a denomination, but it's not really true that you can believe anything. Oh, we believe in God's love, but we believe there's also some disciplines that we should follow in a response to that. There's some ways that we should live in a response to this grace that pours into our lives. I shared with you earlier that verse from 1 John that says we love because God first loved us. I want to read you a couple more verses right after that. Those who say I love God and hate their brother's or sisters are liars for those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen the commandment we have from him is this those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also I mentioned to you we're having this holy conversation as we're calling it this afternoon at five o'clock it's this idea that Wesley had that even if we don't all agree on a matter of doctrine or an opinion about something that's going on in our lives, it does not give us license to treat each other in poor ways. That as Christians, we're still to love each other, to still will the good for the other person. That we should figure out, especially within the body of Christ, how we can have disagreements and be free thinkers and still love each other. He wrote about this in one of his sermons. I want to read you just a couple of sentences because we're going to try to practice this this afternoon. I seldom see this modeled anymore in our country in any kind of leadership discourse or political discourse. There's so much modeled that if I disagree with you, I should feel free to attack you and try to destroy you and maybe even make up things about you so that my opinion wins. And that if I think your opinion is wrong, that gives me the freedom to come after you in any kinds of mean-spirited ways. Wesley said, oh no, that is not how Christians act. That is not how we are to proceed as followers of Jesus Christ. So one of his sermons, he says this, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt, we may. Amen. Thanks be to God.